Well, if you'll open your Bible with me this morning to Genesis chapter 5, we're going to begin there. Genesis chapter 5, the kids and teachers, uh, please be dismissed. Genesis chapter 5, we'll start there and then we'll go over to Romans chapter 6 in a few moments. Have you seen those pretty ugly billboards out along the side of the road? You ever seen one of those? I was driving down the road. I think the first one I ever saw was a picture of a tiger. Half of the billboard was a tiger's face. And then at first glance, you thought the whole thing was just the face of a tiger. But on the other side, it was the furs of uh, tigers who had been poached for their fur. And uh, the top of it says, pretty ugly. Have you seen that? Um, you'll see them out alongside the roads uh, going to Gallipolis. You'll see one that way. And the idea, I guess, that they're trying to get across is they're trying to say that it's pretty ugly what some people will do for money. They'll poach animals and just slaughtering animals. One of them is slashing and burning forests and those kind of things. And I thought about that. Pretty ugly. Pretty ugly. It's not the worst of the things that are going on in this world, but it is ugly. Poaching animals, slaughtering elephants, elephants for their tusks, and so on. It is ugly, but it's not the worst. Uh, the Bible gives us a very ugly picture. And today I have to paint an ugly picture for you. And it's not as exactly something that I enjoy doing, but this is our message for this morning. This ugly picture in the Bible, and we find it <clears throat> being described in Genesis chapter 5. In verse 1, this is the book of the generations of Adam. Adam was the first man that God created. He was a literal man. He lived and breathed and walked upon this earth. You say, you believe that? Yes, I believe everything that Jesus believed. Jesus believed in Adam he referred to him, he referred to the historical account of creation and of God forming man of the dust of the ground. So I'm with Jesus. Now, if you're smarter than him and smarter than this book, you go ahead and have at it. But yes, I believe in Adam. I believe we're all descendants of Adam. I believe we're all a blood relation to the first man and the first woman. So these are the generations of Adam in the day that God created man. In the likeness of God made he him. Now, man was originally created in God's likeness or in God's image. This is what we believe. This is what the Bible teaches. That man was created to be a reflection of God's character. That's who we were supposed to be. Just to be a reflection of who God is and what he's like. And as you may know, our first ancestors sinned against God. And this had serious consequences. And it creates for us a very ugly picture of the history of mankind. Verse 2, male and female created he them and blessed them. At the beginning, it was a pretty picture, wasn't it? God said everything that he had done with his hands, uh, metaphor, or, uh, yeah, metaphorically speaking, uh, was good, Right? He blessed them and called their name Adam. 
and the day when they were created. And Adam lived a hundred and thirty years and begat a son in his own likeness. Now, underline that, his own likeness. Underline that and then underline the likeness of God in verse 1. Something happened. Something went wrong. Adam, the first man, broke something that God made. And so after Adam, every man, woman, is now made in Adam's image. A fallen, sinful image. No longer reflecting the image of God and God's character and God's goodness. But now reflecting the image of our great, 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 granddaddy, Adam. That's the image that we reflect without the gospel. So, man sinned against God and these consequences we call the fall of man. That's what we call it in theology. And it changed the heart of man and it ruined. You've got to understand that. It ruined the image of God. It was like destroying something with graffiti or destroying the face of a national monument by knocking off the nose of it or tearing down the monument. It ruined the image of God. Corrupt now. No longer reflecting the image of God. But originally, originally, mankind was created in God's image. And man is now born with a sin problem. Adam and Eve had two boys, right? After 130 years, they had two boys. So he, he, he begat a son in his own likeness after his image and called his name Seth. And now they're going to follow this genealogy from Seth. But we know that there came Cain and Abel. And there's a purpose for them coming from Seth, but... We read the earlier pages of Genesis and we learn about Cain and Abel. And what happened? Well, brother murdered brother. And so from the very beginning, as we read through the pages of Scripture, we find out that something has gone bad wrong. Something is very wrong. Something is broken. It was clear from the start. (laughs) But even, even then... As we read and we learn about God's Word and His His great drama of redemption throughout history, we learn that God had a plan from the very beginning to fix what Adam and Eve broke. Before God ever created the world, He had a plan. And His plan is named Jesus Christ. (laughs) That He would send forth His seed. We read about that in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, if you want to look at that real quick. He says, I will put enmity between thee, that's talking about the devil, and the woman. I'll put enmity. There will always be a fight. There will always be conflict between the devil and the human race, the seed of the woman. And between thy seed and her seed. But wait a minute. When he says seed, now he's referring specifically, not seeds, but a seed, to the seed which would be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. This is the first mention of the gospel in the Bible. And and God says, It shall bruise thy head. It shall bruise thy head. 
but thou shalt bruise his heel. And that's referring to the seed of Jesus and that he will deal a death blow to Satan's head at the cross, but Jesus' heel would be bruised as a result. That's talking about his sufferings for our sin. But God had a plan from the very beginning to fix this problem. And look back at Genesis chapter 5 again. So we're painting a picture here this morning, and it's a pretty ugly picture. Look what happens as a result of Adam's fall. Look at this genealogy, and I want to see if you notice something about it. So he begat a son in his own likeness, after his own image, and called his name Seth. And the days of Adam, after he had begotten Seth, were 800 years, and he begat sons and daughters. And all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Okay? Seth lived 105 years and begat Enos, and Seth lived after he begat Enos 800. And Seth, now, he would have had other children, but God is just selecting certain people to teach something. But he, he lived so many years and begat sons and daughters, and all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. Well, Enos lived 90 years and begat Canaan. And Enos lived after he had begat Canaan 850 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enos were 905 years and he died. You see what's going on in Genesis chapter 5? This is what happens after the fall. Death. 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 Because man had fallen in sin and the wages of sin is death. But it's not just the death of the body. Would you come with me to Romans chapter 6? Romans chapter 6. It's not just the death of the body, but it's the death of the soul. Because you see, God created man in his own image. And among other things, you know what that means? God is a triune being. God's a trinity. You know what? Man's a trinity. The Bible tells us, that man is a spirit, soul, and body. Three-part being. In theology, they call it tripart being. Uh, Paul talked about it First 1 Thessalonians 5. If you want to read it, he says, I pray God your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless unto the day of His coming. And we are not only a body, but you see, that's what the world would have us to think. That's what... Oh, Marxism and humanism would have us to think that we are nothing but a body that evolved from a monkey. And if you want to be a monkey man or a monkey girl, you go ahead and have at it, but not me. Uh-uh. No, I was created in God's image. Then that image was broken and ruined by the fall of Adam. And then I was in the fallen image of Adam. But then when Jesus Christ redeemed me through the grace of God and His, His glorious gospel, the image of God is restored. And one day it will be complete when I'm glorified at His coming and I receive the glorified body. But listen, man has a soul. You are a soul, an eternal soul. And the wages of sin is death. God says the day, Adam, the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. God says the penalty for disobeying me in the garden is death. And what do we see happening in the human race? Death. He died, he died, he died. And then and, and we, we discover that we are a soul and that the Bible talks about a second death in the lake of fire. 
In Romans chapter 6, verse 23, notice what it says here, a verse that we all know, but this is one of the greatest verses in the Bible. This, this verse, Paul was a genius, and he was inspired by God, and these are God's words, but God used the intellect of a man and the, the, the personality of a man and inspired his writings. And Paul put together in just these few words so much, just packed so much truth in there. This is one of the great verses of the Bible. For the wages of sin is death. Think about Genesis 5. And he died, and he died, and he died. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But hold on a minute. You say, you told us that God said, in the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. And it said back there in Genesis 5 that Adam lived what? 930 years? What did that say? So how does that work out? How does that work out? So Adam lived 930 years and he died. How does that work out? Is there a contradiction in the Bible? No. No, don't believe it. He did die that day. You know what happened? He died spiritually. You are a spirit soul, and body. He died spiritually. And he was separated from God. What did God do? God drove him out of the Garden of Eden because God said, don't let him eat that tree of life because if they do that, they'll live forever in that condition. Adam was supposed to live forever. Keep eating from the tree of life. God said, I can't have him eating that now. They'll live forever in their fallen, corrupt, sinful condition, but it would just be a body and a soul with a dead spirit. The spirit is dead to God. So in the day that he ate thereof, he, he died to God. Something in his relationship broken between him and God, and he was separated from God in the Garden of Eden. And the day that you hear the gospel, which is summarized in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, and you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, guess what happens? You are born again. You are quickened, the Bible says. You're made alive. You say, what does that mean? Your spirit is made alive toward God. And now you're connected to God again. And now your heart leans towards righteousness. And now as you walk in the spirit, you fulfill the law of God and therefore reflect the image of God and of his likeness. And, uh, and, and, and it's what God wanted in the first place. It's, it's God fixing what Adam broke. It's God undoing the tangled up mess that the devil has created with mankind through the gospel. You're born again. Your spirit is made alive. And you live unto God as you walk in the spirit and you reflect his likeness, his righteousness. You want to know the sad story, though, of all of this? The sad story of all of this? That's what God wants to have happen, right? But God will not overrule your will. God has given you a free will. You can make your own You're a big boy. You're a big girl. You can make your own decisions, right? You're not, a, you're not Pinocchio. You're not a little boy puppet on strings. You're not Pinocchio. You are a free agent, and you have the power of choice. Now, do you think that all believers who sit in church today 
are living for the Lord and truly reflecting His image? Do you think so? You and I both know that that's not the case. I'd say probably 90% of most church-going Christians practicing churchianity, probably 90%, you realize we're in the Laodicean church age, you realize we're at the end, where apostasy is just saturated Christianity, probably 90% of Christians are lukewarm Laodicean apostates. God help us. And if you're honest with yourself, like I'll be with myself, we're lukewarm. We are. It's an ugly picture, isn't it? You know what's happening in the pews? Same thing is happening in the world. That's what they say. Same thing is happening in the world. The church is worldly, just like the world. You know what the church is supposed to be? A righteous, holy people purifying themselves, even as He is pure. If you call yourself a Christian, you ought to walk even as He walked, right? So, now what I'm saying is that it's not a lost cause, but I'm saying it's a gut check. Take it seriously, because it's a pretty ugly picture. What did Jesus say about the last age of the church, which is the Laodicean church age? Those churches, those seven churches, there were more than seven churches, you understand, He picked seven and he used them to represent different periods of church history. I wish to God we could go and be in the Philadelphia church age with with, uh, Moody, (laughs) D.L. Moody and all them. But we're not in the Philadelphia church age. We're in the Laodicean church age. And Jesus said about this church age is that you're rich, you're increased with goods, but you're poor towards me and you're wretched and miserable and naked. And And he said... You're lukewarm. He said, I wish you were just cold. Just stop it. I wish you were just cold. Or I wish you were hot. All out for God. But you're lukewarm. And because you're lukewarm, what? I'll spew you out of my mouth. You make me want to throw up. That's what he said. It's an ugly picture, isn't it? But guess what? When Jesus comes back, he can find some people who are still praying, still reading this book, still letting this book change their lives, still faithful to church, still given to missions, still seeking to win the lost, not perfect by any means, but just being faithful. That's all He wants, us to be faithful. Being faithful, confessing sin as you commit it, that's walking in the light, and not just confessing it, but forsaking it. We talked about all those things. But this is the ugly picture of what's really going on today. And you know what? I've heard people say, and I just heard it again recently, you don't really need to go to church. And when people say that, my heart sinks because, first of all, you're talking to a pastor. Could you say anything more insulting to me than that? I don't know, other than taking the Lord's name in vain. And I'm not some money-grubbing pastor, and I understand that there are those, but listen... And then I heard somebody else say it this way, and I think it's just perfect. The church is absolutely essential to your spiritual growth. You will not grow spiritually, and you will not continue in holiness, and you will not be encouraged week after week without a church family. I understand it's not about the building, this is just a meeting place. We could meet anywhere. 
But it's got to be with the church and accountability to one another and observing communion. And for that, you need a pastor and you need deacons, right? The church is essential for, for spiritual growth and walking in holiness. And uh, the fact of the matter is, is a lot of Christians are not doing it. The ugly picture is this, is that the wages of sin is death. Adam died spiritually the day that he sinned. He died physically. Eventually his body gave out. And over time, man lived less and less of a lifespan. And then we learn that at the end of this life, when your body dies and you die without Jesus Christ, God forbid, but if you die without Jesus Christ, you go to a a second death, the death of the soul, which is eternal in a lake of fire. Revelation chapter 20 and 21 verse 8. The second death of the soul. What an ugly picture. What a tragedy. But I want you to see something here just quickly in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. You see the wages of sin is death. Can I tell you that it doesn't say the wages for sin. Okay? It says the wages of sin. In other words, it's not saying that the wage is the penalty for sin. That's not what it's saying. We explain it that way because it's simple to understand. And death certainly is the penalty for sin. But this is saying something different. It says the wages of sin. Sin is personified in this verse. Sin is spoken of like it's an employer. And the word wages literally is rations. It's what a soldier would be paid. Or what a government employee of of Rome, maybe a tax collector or something, would be paid. And it's it's saying sin is like being personified, like sin is an employer. And that there are wages for sin. As a matter of fact, sin is like the largest employer in all the world. It employs more people than even Wally World. It's the greatest employer. And it has many employees. Do you know how many? Every man, woman, boy, and girl on this planet is employed by sin. And there are wages. You receive something for being a sinner. What do you receive? Well, pleasure in sin for a season. Don't you? Come on now. I lived long enough before I was saved. I know there's some pleasure in sin for a season. It can be enjoyable for a little while. And then you reap what you sow. And the old, old-time preachers would talk about when you're young, you're like sending out little, little ships on the water. They're talking about like on a pond or a lake or something. You're sending out little ships and you're sowing your sin. And then after a while, your ships start coming back to the shore eventually. And after a while, you start wishing your ships wouldn't come back to the shore because there are consequences for our sins. Consequence being death. Consequences for being a sinner and being employed by the world's largest employer. The consequences of it being uh, broken hearts, ruined relationships, broken marriages, broken homes, addictions, depression, hatefulness, jealousy, fighting, wars. 
The wages of sin. They've been fighting over that little piece of ground over there in the Middle East. It's smaller than the state in New Jersey. Fighting over that little sliver of land between Israel and between the Arabs and the Turks and the Muslims and the Catholic Crusaders been fighting and warring and jealousy. And sometimes uh, in history they say that, that a group of Jews that are like a uh, zealous religious sect of the Jews try to go up on that Temple Mount and take a, take a cornerstone and try to lay the temple every once in a while or try to go up there and pray somewhere where they're not supposed to be praying. And they're doing that because they're trying to get control of what rightfully belongs to them. And the Muslims will start riots over that when that happens. What is that? That's jealousy, greed. This is my land. I want it. No, I want it. No, I want it. What is that? It's the wages of sin. Is death. That's what sin causes. It never leaves you better than it found it. It always leaves you worse. It always ends in death. And Paul says the wages of sin is death. What you receive and your employ is death. And hold on a minute. It's not just the death of the body. Then you take them over to Revelation chapter 21 verse 8. And uh, we don't have time to go there. But it says that the fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable, murderers, whoremongers, adulterers, sorcerers, and all liars shall have their part. You say, "I, I, I didn't do any of those things. Have you ever lied? Even all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. This is the second death. The wages of sin is death. What an ugly picture. (laughs) What an ugly picture. The first thing a baby learns how to do, a baby that's born in Adam's image with a corrupt nature, learns how to manipulate its closest relationship. Isn't that right? A baby learns how to manipulate Mommy, you say, what's wrong? What's wrong with that baby? Well, they're cute and cuddly. It's a good thing they are, right? I think God does that by design. Make sure they're real cute. So you put up with them. But they learn how to deceive mommy. It learns how to lie, how to deceive, because the baby wants fellowship time with mommy. Babies quickly result to violence to get their way, do they not? That's just a little baby, but imagine if it was my size and it still acted like that. Bust your head open to get what it wants. Yeah, it would. We have flaring tempers. We indulge in hatred towards others. We have prejudices. We, we as a human race, oppress other people. We take, uh, we take what doesn't belong to us. We take God's name in vain. I heard our president once again blaspheme the God of this book. The book on which this country was founded and took his name in vain once again. Are we a Christian nation? I tell you, you're, you're going to have a hard time proving it to me anymore. Look at, the, look at the men that we elect to office. Bush is not excluded. I thought we've we got a choice between Hillary and, and uh, Trump. We've got a choice between a Clinton and a Trump. I thought, what a joke! Does nobody remember who Trump is? He's a playboy. Are you kidding me? That's what I thought at that election. And you know who I voted for? The lesser of two evils. Are we a Christian nation? I don't know. 
We're not acting like it. Not even the Christians in the pew. There are many, many in the pew that are unfaithful to spouses, lying to spouses and children, perverting the natural use of sex, many viewing pornography and eventually becoming violent towards their spouse, uncles abusing their, 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 their nephews and nieces. This is happening, folks. This is happening. If you read the articles in a magazine called No Greater Joy, a woman in there, Debbie Pearl, it's her and her husband that has this ministry, and she talks about the letters that she gets all the time from women. She's trying to help women to live godly for Christ Jesus in an apostate age. And she said, when we first started this ministry, years and years ago, over 30 years, we, the, the letters I would get was, my husband won't take out the trash, and, and he's lazy, and he's not doing this, and he's not being the spiritual leader that he should be. And she would write back letters, and you know, boo-hoo, and, and uh, try to help him out and stuff. But she says, the letters that she gets now from Christian homes... All of that stuff I just mentioned. That's what's going on with their readers. And that's a strong conservative little group right there that follows the No Greater Joy magazine. That's what's happening in our churches. What I'm telling you is that people in their natural unconverted state are unable to have a right relationship with God. They have to be born again. And what I'm telling you is this, is that people who are born again and are trusting Jesus Christ as Savior, if you don't walk in the Spirit, if you just let this flesh do what it wants, if you don't die daily, you have, a, you have the old nature that is still with you and it wants to take over. And you can't just trust Jesus and then just not take this thing seriously. You've got to trust Jesus and you've got to learn how to do spiritual warfare and how to resist the devil, how to put down the flesh, how to die daily, take up your cross and follow Jesus. Listen, most people when Jesus comes back will be ashamed at his coming. That's the truth. That's the truth, folks. Don't let it be you. You know in your heart if there's something in your life that doesn't belong there. And you, you get that right with the Lord. You know what Christians do? Lukewarm, backslidden Christians do? They ignore God's presence much of the time. Add up one hour a week and times it by 52 weeks. And if you're the kind of Christian that thinks about the Lord for an hour on Sunday, but for the rest of the week he's not even a part of your decisions, uh, you don't pray, you don't read your Bible, you pretty much just ignore him. Come on now, be honest with yourself. You pretty much just ignore him unless something bad happens. For the rest of the week, think about how many hours in the, in the week you actually are worshiping God and paying attention to him and are under the sound of his word. And the rest of the week, you're not really living for the Lord. Christians spend years like that before God works in their life to bring revival and renewal and restoration. And it has to come by acknowledging the problem. We're lovers of pleasures more than we are lovers of God in America. You say, it ain't so. Yes, it is. We love our wealth. We love peace and prosperity. And we're afraid to mention the name of Jesus to a relative who's going to die and go to a devil's hell unless you tell him. And we won't open up our mouths. Why? 
It's that problem, like I said, that one hour a week, that's all you do. Hey, listen, I saw a church sign that said this, God doesn't want weekend visitation. God wants full custody. Ain't that good? Somebody who's pretty wise and clever put that out on a church sign, some little country church on the way to Zanesville, I saw it. God wants full custody. He wants it because it's for your good and his glory. It's for the good of your family members. People that are going to die and go to a Christless eternity, and God said their blood will be on your hands and my hands. It's in there. Let's close it. Let's close it today. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What a wonderful way to end it. It's a pretty ugly picture, yes. But you know, all God wants for sinners is just to admit our sin and then to come to Jesus Christ and receive the free gift of God. We can just call heaven's hotline and claim this free offer. Have you claimed your free gift of eternal life? Have you admitted to God and agreed with Him that you're a sinner, that you're undone, you're in Adam's fallen image, and that uh, you agree that you're not able to have a right relationship with God unless He does something for you through His Son, Jesus? Listen, if you're in Adam, you're outside of Christ. And what salvation does is it brings you into Christ. And if you're in good with Jesus Christ, you're in good with God. And God wants you to receive this free gift of eternal life by believing the gospel, believing that Jesus died for your sins. Your sins. Such an ugly word. And it's my job to preach it for the rest of my life. Such an ugly word. But you know, when a jeweler wants to display his or her uh, gem, they take that gem with all of its beauties and all of its qualities and they set that gem against a really dark background, like crushed black velvet. And then they turn the light on so you can really see all that. And so for us to be able to see the grace and the glory of God's gospel, the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, we have to see it against the black backdrop of our sin and of this evil world. And it makes God's gospel seem all that more glorious and wonderful, especially when it changes your life. When you let it change your life. I uh, went to the garden tomb in Israel and scholars say that that's the spot. They don't know it for sure, but from the garden tomb you can sit and you can view Mount Calvary, Golgotha, which means the place of the skull and the side of the hill looks like a skull in the right lighting and from the right angle. looks just like a skull. And they say that right there, that's where Jesus was crucified. The old Romans road that was all throughout that land intersected right there where that hill is, Golgotha. All those roads came in and intersected, and that was like a city square right there. And they say right there is where they like to crucify the Jews and crucify criminals because everybody coming in from different areas coming into town for business would pass by these crucifixions and, w- and it would deter crime. And they say right there is where our Lord was crucified. And you know what? The, the group started to get up and walk away. And I sat there and I wept. There's something I can weep about. 
Right there is where Jesus suffered for my sins and for your sins. I thought about that. I've read about it in the Bible, but I actually get to come and see the place where it happened. But you know, the worst thing that he suffered was not the crown of thorns. It was not the nail-pierced hands and feet. It wasn't the spear in his side and water and blood gushing out from his heart, the sack of his heart bursting open and gushing out. It wasn't the cat of nine tails on his back. That wasn't the worst thing that he suffered, as awful as that is. It's good for us to think about that. What The awful cost of our sin. It's an ugly picture. Calvary is a horrible, ugly picture. But at the same time, it's a glorious picture. But you know the worst thing that he suffered? Was when he became sin for us. And the wrath of Almighty God the just wrath upon sin, the sin of the human race was put upon Jesus Christ and He bore our sins in His own body on the tree and became sin for us and God the Father couldn't even look on Him. Fellowship was broken for the first time in all of eternity. The fellowship between the Father and the Son was broken and Jesus cried out in agony, Psalm 22, My God, my God, Why hast thou forsaken me? The worst suffering on the cross was when Jesus became sin for us. And that is satisfactory to God. That's a propitiation. God is satisfied with that. That's what we'll we'll celebrate here. That's what we'll, we'll, we'll observe. And what these things represent is God says, what Jesus did for them, that'll do. And I'll accept that. So if a lost sinner, I don't care what you committed, a lost sinner comes to Jesus by faith and trusts in what He did on the cross for, for the forgiveness of their sins, that He paid the penalty, God says, if you'll trust Him, I'll take you. Now, if you try to work your way to heaven, you might be a good little boy, good little girl, sweet, nice, polite, do what you're told, and all that kind of stuff, and you'll die and go right to hell because you committed the worst sin of all. You rejected the dying love of your Savior and the price that He paid. Let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, with everyone present here, God, we, uh, we come before You and it's for the glory of the cross. It's, it's to adore Jesus Christ. And God, I've painted a pretty ugly picture this morning, a picture of sin, picture of the awful cost, picture of what Jesus endured for our sin and And then, God, uh, the picture of our unfaithfulness to You. God, help us. God, have mercy upon us. God, bring revival. God, stir up our hearts to love and to good works. Lord, if there's one here today that's not saved, I pray that today would be the day that they would look at the cross by faith, with eyes of faith, and, and weep for their sins, and weep for what Jesus did to pay the penalty for their sins and to trust in, to cling to Jesus, to throw themselves wholly upon Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Give them assurance of faith and of salvation. Lord, I pray that You'd bless now. I pray that Christ would be exalted, that You'd receive worship and adoration as we observe the Lord's Supper. In Jesus' name, Amen.